So the second Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 to 28, and that can be found on page 1025 on some of the Pew Bibles. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Thank you, Erwin. Uh, there is a, an outline, so if you want one, please grab one. Why don't we take a moment, turn around, welcome, greet, greet each other, and I'll call you back in a moment. So grab an outline. There's a full tr- talk transcript as well for those of you who want it. Okay, well, let me get your attention. There is supper after this service, so please join us for supper. We have been working through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're doing a series, chapter 14 to 18. A good way to prepare for each week is to perhaps, you know, one of the mornings, read ahead on what we'll be looking at next week, and that will help you prepare, help you think about it, uh, uh, what God's teaching you, and hopefully what God's teaching you is what you hear on Sunday as well. But that's a good way to prepare ahead on on what we're learning each week. Uh, But let's pray to God again and ask him for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us. You have enabled your words and these events of Jesus and his teachings and what he said to be preserved for us, that we might know more of him more of ourselves and more of life. And we pray that that might be the case today as we reflect again on your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the great tasks, one of the great commissions, the great commission for all Christians is to go and make disciples of all nations. We know that, don't we? Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciple makers as well. So this is meant to go from generation to generation to generation. That's a great commission. That's a great task of all Christians. And so we are meant to go about, as Christians, proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming the wonderful, gracious news of what God has done for us in his Son, which demonstrates the wonderful, glorious love of God. That is the task of Christians. And we know that, don't we? And so those of you who are here tonight, you are already a Christian. That is, you already trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, you are a disciple of Jesus, then what this means is that you're an evangelist. What it means is that you're evangelist. You're meant to go evangelising, that is, to proclaim the good news. That is our task as Christians. But for those of you here tonight who 
who are, you're still coming along. You're not yet a Christian, but you, you enjoy, you want to come and hear and learn more. We are so grateful that you are here. We're glad you do come to be with us, to give up your time to get to know our Lord and Saviour. And, and really, our aim is, for you being here, our aim is really up front so that you would come to know what we know and to know that Jesus is indeed the only Saviour there is in this world. We want you to come to know that as well. But as we think about what we are to do as Christians in evangelising, in proclaiming the gospel, uh, this week as I was reflecting on this passage, I wonder whether we as Christians have gone about the wrong way, gone about evangelising the wrong way, doing a bad job of evangelising, doing evangelism wrongly. I wonder whether that has been the case for Christians, for us, for many Christians. I wonder whether that is true. For you. Now, what I mean by this is not, it's not so much what we know and what we say, but in what we assume. So, what I mean by this is not that we don't know about the gospel, know about sin and judgment and creation and the cross and resurrection and faith. Not that we don't know gospel tracts like Two Ways to Live. What I mean by this, if we've gone about, about the wrong way in doing evangelism, what I mean by this is that we've gone with the wrong assumptions, the wrong assumptions as we proclaim the gospel. Now, let me explain to you what I mean. I wonder when we go about sharing the amazing news of Jesus, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus ransomed you, that Jesus redeemed you, that Jesus Christ will grant you a place in heaven. But we do so with this assumption that Jesus needs the non-Christian to be a part of his kingdom, that Jesus needs you that heaven will be empty, that heaven will be less of a joyous place, less of a happy place because you're not there. So we go about evangelising with the assumption that Jesus actually needs people in his kingdom. And so we do so with the assumption, as I present the gospel, that any non-Christian, in a sense, sits in judgement of God. As I hear the gospel, I sit in judgement of God. I'll decide if this is for me. I'll decide if I want to believe this news. I'll decide if this is good enough for me. I'll decide if I need Jesus. I'll decide and I'll have all the time in the world to decide. And when I decide, when I come to Jesus, then he'd better take me. I wonder when we do go about evangelism, whether we go with that sort of assumption, that Jesus actually needs us, that he needs non-Christians and to become Christians, to fill up heaven. But you see, that would be to do evangelism with completely and utterly the wrong assumption. You see, Jesus does not need anyone. God does not need anyone. He's self-sufficient in himself. He does not need us. He doesn't have to save anyone. You see, we, we go around with nice words. Jesus wants you and all that. That is true. He has done that. But we will speak as though that, that we're doing God a favour when I become a Christian. You see, that's certainly not the case. And so when we look at this passage, this is what we see. Who is it that needs whom? Is it Jesus that needs the believer, or is it the believer who needs Jesus? This is what this passage makes blatantly clear to us. Who needs whom? And so let's look at this passage. Look at, we'll have a look at this story. In this story, we get to listen in on the exchange between Jesus and this woman. 
Jesus, just before this passage, is told off the Pharisees and now he's headed up north to this region of Tyre and Sidon and up there the fame of Jesus precedes him. People have heard about Jesus and so people come to Jesus and here we read of a woman, a Canaanite woman, who comes to Jesus, comes to Jesus crying, crying for mercy. Now we're told that this woman was a Canaanite and that's important to know. You see, it means that she was not just a Gentile. Jews would not associate with Gentiles, but worse than that, she was a Canaanite. The Canaanites were the great enemies of the nation of Israel. They were the ones that God disposed of when Israel came to their land. They were the ones who were outside the promises of God. They were clearly outsiders, outside of the covenant of God, outside of the blessing of God. They deserved nothing of God, nothing from God. But yet this Canaanite woman, she runs up to Jesus and cries out for mercy. She cries out. I mean, this was a Jewish man. You don't associate. They wouldn't associate with you. You, would, you should despise them. They're the one who kicked you out of your land. But she cries. In verse 22 we read, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now it's worth it getting into her mind a bit. Why would she say such a thing? What was she thinking? Why would she beg this Jewish man for mercy? You see, she recognises something of who Jesus is and it stands in stark contrast to the people of God, to the Israelites. They did not recognise who Jesus was, but she, a Gentile, a Canaanite, does and calls him the son of David. You know, the, the Canaanites, they would most likely have heard about the great King David, the great ruler who defeated all his enemies. And as a Canaanite, they would have heard about the wonderful promises God made through the prophets to the nation of Israel, that one day a Messiah from the line of David would come, who would rule, who would reign. And now, before her very eyes, this Jewish Messiah, she recognised that, before her very eyes in her region, the Messiah, the hope of Israel. And so she recognised here who Jesus was, but more than that, she recognises something of herself. She responds appropriately here. She didn't come to Jesus and think, you need me, Jesus. You need me. You're going to want to do something for me. You want to know me. She doesn't come to Jesus standing in judgement over Jesus, but, but no, she comes begging for mercy. She knows who Jesus is. She comes needing him. And so what happened next? Well, did Jesus give her what she wished? Well, no, what happens next is quite interesting. Look at verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. Isn't that strange for Jesus? I mean, no compassion, no sympathy at all for her and her daughter. And then we read on, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Get rid of her, she's a nuisance. And now listen to what Jesus says, verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now what did Jesus mean by that? It wasn't a clear, just grant her her wish, just heal the daughter. What did Jesus mean by that? See, Jesus with all the powers of the universe at his fingertips, he could have just said a word and the daughter would have been healed that very instant. It would have been effortless for Jesus to show sympathy, to do some healing. Why would this loving, kind, 
generous Messiah say such a thing? I did not come to save you. I came to save my people, the lost sheep of Israel. Now, this might be something we're not too familiar with or it might be something that doesn't really sit too well with us. Isn't Jesus the saviour of the whole world, not just Israel? Why would he say this, that his mission was only to the Israelites? You see, we've been led to think this way partly because Christianity in much of the world are Gentiles. Gentiles, are the vast majority of Christians are Gentiles, not Jews. And so we miss something of what Scripture speaks of. There is a priority in salvation. We see that in the Old Testament, we see that in the New Testament, it is Jews first and then Gentiles. And that was what Jesus was saying here. That the covenant promises were for Abraham and his offspring. They were the chosen people, like it or not. That was the nation God chose. Uh, they were the ones who received the promises of God. Like it or not, we're Gentiles. That does not belong to us. And so this Canaanite woman, she knew she was an outsider. She knew she had no claim on, on the Jesus Messiah. She knew she had no claim on any of these wonderful promises God made to the nation of Israel. Even early in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples on their mission trip, go out and spread the gospel, but he said to them, in chapter 10, verses 5, he said, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. You see, it's this priority in salvation. Jews first and then Gentiles. We've lost that just because the bulk of the world, uh, the bulk of Christianity, are Gentiles. Even in Paul's own evangelistic ministry, he preached to the Jews first at the synagogue. When they refused and rejected, then he went to the Gentiles. Jews first and then Gentiles. There is this priority in salvation, the people of God first. And that was what Jesus was expressing. In my previous church, um, the minister, in fact, he was a, a Jewish man, half Jewish anyway, and how they've come to understand this, passages like this and in Romans, was in their mission partners that they support, they will always support one that is reaching the Jews, Jews first and then Gentiles. And so here anyway, Jesus wanted this Canaanite woman to know, my priority is to the people of God. You're not my priority. You're an outsider. You're not part of the covenant community. You're an outsider. And what did she do? Imagine you hearing that, Jesus telling you, the man of mercy and compassion, of love, telling you that you're an outsider. Well, what did she do? Whinge and complain. This is not fair, Jesus. I've come all the way to see you. This is not fair. This is not right. This is not just. You must help me. She didn't whinge and complain. But she continued to beg, plead for mercy. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She continued to plead and beg. She knew that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. She knew she was unworthy of any benefits from his ministry. She knew she was an outsider. She didn't think, he needs me. He needs me. He should be happy that I'm in front of him. I'm here for his good. No, she recognises, I need him. I need him. And I'm going to continue to pursue, continue to beg, continue to plead to him. And so what did Jesus do? Show a little compassion at this point, perhaps? 
show a little mercy, show a little bit of sympathy at this point. Remember, it would have been effortless for Jesus to have cured, to heal her daughter. But now, Jesus here speaks almost in parables. It's almost like a a test to see if she could decipher this parable, this very short parable, verse 26. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, I don't know if you feel the weight, the shock of that. This is coming from the lips of our Lord and Saviour. It is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to their dogs. I mean, imagine hearing that. You're on your knees before Jesus. You're begging for mercy. You're begging for help. And Jesus, the loving, the compassionate, the generous one, he sounds a bit racist here. He calls you a dog. Now, this is not those cute little puppy dogs with adorable eyes and ears and a tail or two that's wagging. But a dog, meaning you're not part of the family. What do you think? Taking what belongs to the children. You see, this. imagine hearing that, Jesus saying that to you. It, it's not right to give to you, dogs, what belongs to the children. You're unworthy of this. You have to see that. You're unworthy. You don't deserve that. Now, how did she respond now? Cry and sook and go in a corner? Whinge and complain some more? No, look what, what she said. She understood this parable. Verse 27. Yes, Lord. She recognises the lordship of Jesus. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You see, it was a test of her humility, a test of her faith. And she here recognises her unworthiness before Jesus. She recognises that she does not deserve anything from Jesus. She deciphered the parable. She made sense of it. She doesn't mind. I am humble. I am unworthy and I don't deserve it. And she also understands here the priority of Jesus to the people of God, to the Israelites, to the children of God. And she understands that she has no claim on these Jewish benefits. And yet here she hangs on to hope in her response. In her answer, she hangs on to hope that even the Gentiles, though they are not the priority, does not mean they will be excluded from the privileges of this Messiah. And so her response was, she's happy with even the crumbs. And if you think about it, you will be too. This is the crumbs from heaven. I'll take that. The crumbs from heaven. She recognises that and she'll be happy with that. And see, that's the right attitude, isn't it? Towards Jesus. Humility and humbleness and a recognition of unworthiness. I don't come to Jesus and think, you need me. You're going to be sad in heaven without me and my gifts and my looks and all of those things that come with me. You need me. No, she comes with humility. She begged, she pleaded, and in the end, even with just the crumbs, she was happy. You see, in a sense, what we see here is the sense we should get across in evangelism. This is what I've been thinking about in evangelism. We let people think that Jesus needs them. But it's they who need Jesus. They need Jesus. They need to beg for mercy and try begging. It's up to Jesus to grant it. You need Jesus. Jesus does not need you. And so how did Jesus see her response? 
while Jesus saw it as a great display of faith, not even seen in the people of Israel. Even the people of the, the Israel saw Jesus and all that he did, did not respond with such faith. Even the disciples did not respond with such faith. And so verse 28, Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And so that's a short story, a simple story in a sense. That's the story. But when we consider a story like this, we want to draw out implications. What does it mean for her? What does it mean for us today? And it might seem like the implications from this story is quite straightforward. We learn at least two things. We learn that the identity of Jesus, he is the son of David. He is the Messiah. He's the one who brings hope to Israel. We also learn here the nature of faith. Faith is humble pleading, begging for mercy, knowing that Jesus not only can save, but will save. But you see, there's more to this story than meets the eye. What we're getting in this story is really a glimpse of God's cosmic plan of salvation, God's cosmic plan in human history of saving the world, not just the Jews. You see, God's promises to Abraham, if you look at that again in Genesis 12, it was meant to extend to the nations, to the world. Through you, Abraham, the world will be blessed. In the Old Testament stories, you have some non-Jewish people or Gentiles who have come to faith, like Ruth, a Gentile. That was a hint that the promises of God was to extend to the Gentiles, to the nations. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, in our first reading, we read this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The Gentiles, they were living in darkness, in the shadow of death. And they've seen a great light. And here is the fulfilment of that. This woman came from darkness, lived in darkness, lived in the shadow of death. And here... In the presence of the Messiah, she has seen the light. And the light is the hope of the nations, which is what Isaiah promised. It's, it's going to be this Messiah who won't be just the Messiah of the Jews, but of the nations. Isaiah 42, in his name, the nations will put their trust. Nations meaning the Gentile world. See, Jesus here, what we're seeing here, is the hope of the nations. We're getting a glimpse of that. And so what we're seeing here is something actually quite massive. Massive in world history. Massive in salvation history. The light has dawned. She got a glimpse of it. The hope of the nations has arrived. And she got to place her hope in him. The salvation to the nation was starting to open up, extend to the nations, to the Gentiles. And so when, you, when we and us consider a story like this. It should make us reflect on our own situation, shouldn't it? It should make us reflect on our own attitude towards Jesus. I mean, having a look around the world, I don't think there are any Jewish people here, are there? Or Gentiles? I mean, that should get us to, to reflect and think seriously about what this is saying. See, Jesus went for the Jews first and then Gentiles. We're all beneficiaries of that work. We are all Gentiles. It has now come to us. The light has dawned upon us. We have seen the hope of the nations. And so that should get us to reflect 
and to feel a deep sense, wow, we did not deserve this. We were outsiders like that Canaanite woman, but now we get to enjoy the privileges of God to his people, the promises God made to Abraham. And that's why in Romans, Paul talks about us actually just being engrafted into the plant. We're not the original plant, we've been engrafted in. And so we must remember, we must understand what a privilege we who are Gentiles get to participate in these wonderful promises of God. And so it should cause us to be so grateful, so thankful and also so humble always, just like that Canaanite woman. And so we who do believe here, if we do believe, it's not because God needs us. We need to remember that. It is because we need him. We need him. And finally, with this great privilege also comes a great responsibility. The gospel has come to us, which means the gospel has reached us Gentiles. And of course, if you look at this story carefully, that was always the intention of Jesus. Now, whose idea was it to go up to the region of Tyre and Sidon? Whose choice, whose decision? Verse 21. It was Jesus who decided. And so if you think about this in the sovereignty of God, it was as though he went there for the very purpose of having this conversation, for the very purpose of saving this woman's daughter. That woman coming to him pleading for mercy did not catch Jesus by surprise. He went there first. He expected this. It was as though he went there knowing that she needed him. But you see, it wasn't until the death and resurrection of Jesus that the mission of Jesus extends to the nation. And we know this, don't we? What happens at the end of Matthew? Matthew 28. During the ministry of Jesus, Jews first, only Jews, you get glimpses of Gentiles coming to faith. But after the death and resurrection, what happens? What it is to go to the nations. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, that responsibility fell on the disciples first to reach the Roman world and they did. They reached Rome. Now that it has come to us, Gentiles, we now bear this same responsibility. And so in our evangelism, Do we go about it wrongly, assuming that when anyone believes, they do God a favour? It's the other way round. God is doing them a favour. And that should give us boldness, because what we have to offer to this world is the best thing they can ever get. The best thing ever. To point them to Jesus, the one they need, the one they should turn and beg for mercy. We have the best news ever. And so it should give us boldness, not to be timid. Jesus does not need us to be saved. We need him to be saved. And so in this passage, the light has dawned. The light has dawned. Will you be like this Canaanite woman and beg for mercy? You need him. The hope of the nations has come. Will you be like this Canaanite woman and place your hope in him? And we must remember It is we who need Jesus. He does not need us. But what he offers, what a great privilege. What a great privilege. Let's pray.